y'all. It's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys review Red Flag Over Paris, Fort Sumter, and Bequest. Tony and Donna will give us their opinions on Three Sisters. And last but not least, Tony and Marty answer the question, should all video games have an easy mode? Let me make that easy for you. Yes. Hello, and welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 250, quarter of it towards a thousand. Wow. <laughs> math. <laughs> math. It's hard. It's there. But th- you know what math is? It? Oh, by the way, this is I Can't Drive 55, and I'm Tony. Uh, and I'm Marty, and I resent the title of this episode, but uh, <laughs> I guess we'll talk about that in a second. But holy cow, dude, episode 250. It was one of those things that snuck up on us like, I guess maybe we should have done something special, or I guess at this point, like our ages, it's just another number. It's just another number. My my <laughs> wife goes, what do you want to do for your birthday? I, want, I said, I want to make it to it. <laughs> hey, I hope you have more fun on your birthday than I did on mine, because I ended up staying around the house because I was COVID positive over my birthday weekend. Well, aren't you special? And you have tooth issue yeah it's just been a uh, a crazy amount of time i got uh, uh covid but you know thanks to the uh the vaccines and me really taking a lot of things like vitamin d and stuff that i heard was really good it was really nothing more than a minor cold has gone about four That's or good. five days and vanessa had it and hadn't been too bad on her so thank goodness for that but now i am three days from having to have a wisdom tooth removed mm-hmm. here's the deal man I've never had a lot of major work done on me at all. I've had one cavity my entire life. Good for you. I never had braces. I've never had a tooth pulled. And I've only been put under once, and that was for the colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. So all this is new to me. I, I don't know what to expect, but uh, I hope that I'm better by uh, about five days after that because uh, uh, you guys are coming over. We're going to play some Cuba Libra. Well, we hope so, unless there's another major snowstorm in the Carolinas. And there's not. I've looked every weekend. Is this is this the first weekend in like three? We haven't had some sort of snow or precipitation on the ground. Well, you haven't checked the latest forecast yet. We don't have any on the ground, but tonight we're supposed to get a mixture. And for the Carolinas, that just means everything shuts down. Hey, it's the winter. You need to come to expect it. But, you know, I had my wisdom teeth out when I was 16 Mm -hmm. um, because they were not going to do the right thing. And so understand that I've had, I think, three crowns. The teeth in my family do not run very well. My daughter is actually is actually missing two, and she has to have implants, and one of the implants would not take. So she's oh. she's got to deal with that. So yeah, kudos to you and your strong teeth. You don't need the choppers like George Washington, especially as we get into our advanced age. <laughs> That's true, <laughs> and, and and it's so advanced that Donna pointed this out. She goes, "Oh crap." And I'm like, what? She goes, we are in a new survey box. Oh, my Lord. We are no longer in the 40 to 54 range. We we go up a box when you fill out a survey now. I'm just not going to fill out any more surveys. Oh, by the way, AARP, you can stop sending me the card. I chunked my in again. But, but... We get free stuff now at 55. I got to get on the websites and see like, you know, I don't drink coffee, so that's useless to me. But I think Hardee's, maybe you get a biscuit of the month club. I don't know what they do for me. <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't want to be that person. I do. It's free. Oh, Vanessa's all over it. She's like, baby, 55, let's go because I'm getting some free stuff. You know how she is with the free stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to drive three hours, just get something free and waste all that gas. But I'm with her. Hey, if it's free, it's me. 
when she said that, I was like, sweetie, what do you mean? Oh, you're right. And I started looking on everything. I started, cause I do these Google surveys and, and mm-hmm. just to get play points. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm in a new box. That means my Google survey will probably pick up on that. Cause Google knows my birthday and they're going to pick up on that. And I guarantee you, I will start seeing adjustments in the surveys they send me. Probably so. What was the, was it the commercials that they show on like the, uh, the TV stations? It just shows old reruns from the sixties and the seventies. It's me TV, for- baby, me TV <laughs> reverse mortgages and stuff mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> I got Bob Barker. I got Tom Selleck. I got all these people talking to me now. Once again, another thing that happened that is very sad to the Rolling Dice and Taking Name listeners, as well as to the podcasters here, is the fact that Dr. Johnny Fever has passed away. Mm. Mm. Howard Hessman passed away. You know, it's one of those things, he's been out of the limelight for many years. It's, It's not one of those actors you think about that often. But uh, when it's like, oh man, it's just you know, there's there's another one of childhood memories, you know, of his character on on the TV show. Do you hear dogs? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, oh, and it's a shame. And we've talked about this before. And I won't rehash it. The fact that you can't watch the originals again because they don't have the rights to the music, which mm-hmm. was so integral to many parts of the show, and that that you just mentioned was one of them. That's right. Well, you know what? In the same uh, vein, about the same era, as far as the late 70s, uh, Meatloaf passed away too. Mm-hmm. It was around the time, as really big around the time of WKRP. Yep. And I'm looking at it. I should have named a song after Meatloaf, but I picked a more appropriate thing. Don't be sad because, you know, two out of three ain't bad. No, it's not. Yeah, because when he passed away, I listened to the album Bad Out of Hell, and that is an amazing album to this day. Really, really, from first song to last, it is so good. And uh, then the next one, and then he kind of fell off, and then you started Mm -hmm. seeing videos of him older, and you were like, stop. You just need to stop, dude. (laughs) Let let us live the glory days. And I'm I'm happy I'm able to record today, because I've been in concussion protocol lately. (laughs) Okay. Uh, at the end of game night the other night, Tony was like something about being in your concussion protocol. I said, I just save this for the show because I, I want to hear this and react live. So here we go. What are you dealing with here? So, all right. I was preparing dinner and we were making stuffed peppers. By the way, my recipe included some uh, ground beef mm-hmm. and some sausage. And then I went with uh, corn and then, of course, rice and peppers and onions and everything. And then it took a little pico sauce, spiced it up a little bit instead of sure. the tomato sauce, mm-hmm. threw it in the peppers. And everybody's like, get to the punchline. I'm like, no, you got to understand here. So I peppers, I baked the peppers. Well, they weren't completely done yet. So I took them and I put them in the microwave so they could finish cooking and softening up a little bit. Not going to sure. hurt anything from there. And of course, well, it had been in the oven. So I moved the pan or the casserole dish to the microwave, put it in there, ran it for a while. And when I was pulling it out of the microwave to check them, I had my oven mitt on and it wasn't an of glove, which by the way, I'm ordering after the concussion protocol. It was just a regular old oven glove. It was kind of a felty kind of stuff. It's not, um, and I was like, okay, I got this. The casserole dish started to fall out of my hand. Mm. Okay. And I Uh-oh. can see, yeah, I see dinner everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Going everywhere, glass everywhere. And I'm like, oh, that's a ride to Chick-fil-A because I just ruined dinner. So I immediately put my other hand rushing to save it from falling, you know, just to Uh-oh. brace it. Sure. And when I did that, I don't move that fast, but I must have moved fast enough where my arm caught the microwave door 
and it came swinging into the side of my head. And I have one of the cabinet microwaves and the corner caught me and the whole door caught the side of my temple. I was dazed. I was confused. And I mean, Donald was like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't think so. Oh, so you could have called this dazed and confused. I mean, it's just a lot of uh, titles that we could have called this episode. So wait a minute. Okay, hold on. So what happened with the casserole then that you're trying to save? Well, <laughs> I wasn't going to let dinner fall. By God, I still saved it. It was still sitting there. I still had my hand, but I was, you know, you're, you're kind of staggering and stumbling. And that's where I was. I was staggering and stumbling. And Donna comes over and she goes, all right, well, finish what you're doing. And you might want to go take care of that cut because blood's running down my face now. <laughs> oh, there's nothing worse than a cut on your forehead because it bleeds like crazy and she's like do i need to wake you up every tonight do we need to set an alarm i'm like no i'm gonna be fine four days later my head was still hurting i'm like i hit that pretty darn good so hold on i got i I have more questions here did your other hand have an oven mitt on it no i knew it was going to be burned it was sacrificed i knew it was going to be sacrificed so how's your hand then it's fine i was able to push it hard it was a quick touch so you suffered a mild concussion first degree burns yeah. Okay. For for stuffed peppers, which were outstanding, by the well, way. Well, at least the payoff was there and the food was really good. Yeah, the food was really good. I, <laughs> I was I was pleased with how that turned out. Oh, there is nothing worse than, than conking yourself. And I've done the same. Everybody's done the thing, right, mm-hmm. where you're underneath something and you don't realize how low that thing is. And then you stand up real quick mm-hmm. and you, you hit your head on a coin. I do it with our um, cabinet doors over the uh, the stove. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I leave them open as I'm getting out spices and stuff and don't close them. And then I'll stand up and it's like, bam. I, I know. I bet that corner of that cabinet, it hurt. It does. Yeah, it, it does. And then, so you, I try to remember to, to shut it. It's like, I'm wasting energy shutting it when I'm just going to open it again in 10 seconds. And then I pay the price later on. So if I fall out, don't worry about me. I'm okay. <laughs> I'll come to in a little bit. It's been, it's been a few days. It's still, it's still a little tender there. I'm like, good gosh. Well, I mean, we had game night the other night. You seem to have your wits about you. You didn't seem too off then. I don't know. I got destroyed in game night, but that's all right. I yeah. can't well, manage that. That's okay. Well, I, did I win? No, I didn't win the one game we played. I think I lost all of the games we played. Uh, hold on. No, no I won, won one of them. You, you won a game that we're going to be talking about later on, Red Flag Over Paris. And we may be able to talk about the new love letter from Star Wars. Pulled that one out. Oh, you you racked up on that one. In fact, let's let's just go ahead and mention that one because we're not doing a full review on that one as that game is so simple. But, you know, love letters come out with a lot of different versions of the game. And a brand new one that came out was uh, Jabba's Palace Love Letter. So it's said in the Star Wars universe. And uh, the cards are, are broke up into two different types of cards. There's the, there's the palace card, which is the Jabba and, and and Jabba the Hutt, uh, Boba Fett, etc. And then there's the Rebels, which is like Luke and Chewbacca, etc. And you play typical love letter fashion, right? So you, you draw a card, you play a card, and the text on the cards tells you exactly what you do. Maybe it's look at somebody else's hand. Maybe it's compare hands. The lower gets knocked out, and you're trying to be the last one standing. But Tony, what I like about this is they threw in agenda cards, which was another way to win the game. So there's a random agenda that's played at the beginning of the game. Like one of the agendas was if you have more rebel cards down on your play area by the end of the game, then you win the game. So it's not necessarily the last card that or the last person standing. Well, that's incorrect. If you're the last person in the game, you still win. But if the deck runs out 
and a lot of you are still in the game, then the person who has the most rebel cards on the table will actually win the game. There's like several different agenda cards to make the game different every time that you play that. And I really like that because I like any game that adds an additional win condition. Other than just knock them out. Right. I'm with you there. Give me multiple ways to achieve a victory. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And there was like a one, it was like, a, if you have, was it Han Solo? Like if, yeah. if they're in your hand at the end of the game, it was like you won. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, again, uh, it, if you like the Star Wars universe, again, the, the things that are different than standard love letter, there's two factions uh, and they can kind of play against each other. And then there's these agenda cards that add additional victory conditions. Other than that, it's pretty much the same. You're going to try to win a certain number of games based on a certain number of players. And the first person to get to that number uh, wins the overall game because you play over multiple rounds. And it's one of those typical love letter fashion. Just throw it out. It was a filler game for us, right? We're waiting for somebody else to get there. So we played until you decimated us. And uh, and then by that time, we were ready to start the next game. The Force was with me that night. It, w- it worked really well. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't remember Love Letter very well. I kind of shy away from it because it's just not one of those games that um, I guess for me is, like you said, it, it, elimination. Okay, fine, I'm eliminated. Let me go on. Let me go play something else, you know? But this one I, I actually did enjoy because I felt like there was more strategy to it than just, oh, Marty, do you have a one? Yes, I'm out. You know, I felt like there was some added strategy with the Star Wars cards, and I guess, mm-hmm. but the actions are similar to other love letters. Is that true? The Batman. That is and, true. Okay, they're not. They're not one to one. In fact, we were playing with Bert, and he said he had actually just finished playing Love Letter, and he said so. It's not a one to one as the uh, types of cards, and there are there are some cards that were palace cards and some that were rebels with the exact same value. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it is a little bit different. Now, this game, by the time this episode comes out, it will have dropped. It, it is brand new. It's coming out the middle of February. And it's available on pre-order right now on Miniature Market for just $11.99. It comes with a nice uh, felt pouch and the nice tokens to show you who won the number of rounds. And it has nice little player aids. Typical love letter fashion. But I think there is enough in this game to where if you have the basic love letter, it's worth adding this one. And if you're a Star Wars fan, it's definitely worth adding it too, because it uh, the 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 way the cards work based on the character that's on the card kind of thematically makes sense too. And I think with the older audience, such as say, if I always look for games that I can play with my mom and aunt, they're in their seventies, or even you know ones that are easier to teach. But sometimes I wonder about is that text going to be hard for them? Of you know, what does it mean to get this amount or to to do these actions? I always wonder about that. And I think Love Letter they can manage. You know, nothing against them. I mean, it's just, you know, don't make it too complicated for them. Do you think the theme would turn them off or they, you know, if you weren't Star Wars fans, I guess it doesn't matter. I mean, no, I mean, actually it could link people back in because they, everybody knows Star Wars. Sure. I would think yeah. everybody knows Star Wars. I could be wrong. I mean, you know, not everybody knows Star Trek, I guess, but I, I, I don't know if that's a problem, but I will say that. I like the Han Solo card that you mentioned, where if it was in your hand at the end of the round, you got an additional victory point. That was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And I, there were some some of the- Which was uh, tough to do because he was a zero. Mm-hmm. So the, you know there were cards where it's like compare with somebody else and the lore is knocked out. So if you hold that card in your hand, there's a chance somebody mm-hmm. could play the other card and, and immediately knock you out because it only has a value of zero. So there was a risk, but if you could play through the game and manage to keep it in your hand, it is worth an extra point at the end. And I liked how we clarified that, you know, guess a number. And if they have that number, it didn't matter what faction they were. If they right. had that number, I think that's important to point out. I don't know if the other ones uh, 
like I said, haven't played Love Letter in years. So it was kind of, it was kind of nice. It was kind of refreshing. It was. Yeah. Jabba's Palace Love Letter out now. And for 12 bucks, I think it's worth just having in your game pack because of those agenda cards that's been added to the game. Now, one thing when you were teaching me Love Letter that I was like, oh, is, is, is this going to take forever? No, it was quick. It was simple. Barely an inconvenience for you, right? You were able to get that on the table. Tell me all about it. I got three sisters on the table with Donna and um, I was teaching her this game. And for those who have not played three sisters yet, it's a, uh, a pinchback. Raising hand. Raising I have hand. not played three sisters. Well, I know y'all don't like rolling right. So I don't even consider y'all worth bringing it to the table. Wow. I'm sorry. You don't. Here's the thing. I like the designers of this game. Okay, next game night, we'll, we'll, we'll throw Please, it on the table. Please, because I think, because I heard this was a more, and I can't wait to hear your and Donna's thoughts on it, a little bit more meaty roll and write. Yes. It's always those roll and writes where the, the progression of a roll and write of the combos. I do, I roll this, this activates, then this activates, and then I get to move this over here. And how am I going to score victory points based on the dice left over in the dice pool? You're always looking for those multiple combinations. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm teaching her the game and I'm like, okay, keep in mind, this is, you know, from the designers of fleet and you're going to have to deal with the various combinations that are coming on and you have all these buildings and things that come into play. And one of the big differences, this one has a rondelle versus fleet where you're rolling two sets of dice. And first thing she goes, what's a rondelle? That's all right. We'll go through that. That's fine. And then she was talking to me and I did an example and with the Kickstarter version, the dice were upgraded so that the one is a pumpkin. Nice. In the example I was giving, I rolled the dice and I said, okay, so now you pick a dice and I picked the pumpkin. It just happened to roll. And now you may plant. She goes, okay. And I was like, well, that worked out really well. And then we were going on through the teaching and then, you know, we did another example, another, you know, walkthrough and I rolled them and I go, okay, now you pick a dice and you plant. She goes, you can't plant. I go, yeah, you can. She goes, no, there's not a pumpkin on the dice. I go, mm. what are you talking about? And she's like, I go, in the, in the first phase, it's either plant or water. And she goes, no, when you picked up the dice, it was a pumpkin and you said you could plant. Therefore, a pumpkin has to be on the die. And I go, no, the pumpkin means it's a one and you plant in garden number one. She goes, that's not what you said. Uh-oh. The pumpkin is when you plant. And I go, no, the pumpkin means a one. She goes, how do you know that? <laughs> And I'm like, what do you mean? How do I know that? I go, the pumpkin's on the opposite side of a six. And we've gone over to the dice faces. Therefore, it's a six. Therefore, this is a one. She goes, I don't know this. I don't see. I'm not like you. I'm not playing with all these special dice. My dice are one through six. She is absolutely right. I did not point that out. Well, no. And it's one of those things, too. It's interesting, right? When you teach people who have a lot of experience in games, there are things that you're going to leave out because there's an assumption that. Yes. You, they understand some something that's not implicitly said. They still understand it. So when you go and teach somebody that doesn't play a lot of games, you may leave out stuff and it's just totally confusing to them. She wasn't upset with me. I wasn't upset with her. I started laughing. I said, I'm using this on the podcast, by the way. I have to. Of course. I go, well, if you go look at our rolling dice dice, you're going to see our logo on the one opposite of the six and various other special dice. She's like, but we don't really ever play with those dice. I go, fair. We don't, to your point. So she, so it was just funny that the example included me picking up the pump. If I had picked up a three, you know, then it would have gone smoother. It, it was just one of those things that went boom, 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 boom. And she also made another point 
because you know we had our discussion about undaunted uh, normity and rules. Yeah, she was going through the rule book. She did a, a our good buddy Mark Kell. I always bring him an extra copy of the rule book. Thank you, all you publishers, for putting them on BGG <laughs> or their or their own websites. Many of them or now put website. the yeah. uh, rules on their website. Yep, absolutely. So I had an extra set, and she's reading it, and she goes, "Okay, what's a bonus action?" And I go, "Well, bonus action is this, this, and this." She goes, "Where does it say that?" And I go, "Hold on, let me find it." And I'm scanning the rules, and she goes, "Oh, here it is, buried in this paragraph." Mm. bonus action is here three pages back, but yet they don't mention it, nor do they indicate the symbol of what a bonus action is. And when we were playing fleet, I was like, okay, the bonus action we know means a star and they carried it over to three sisters. And I'm like, all right. So once again, it's one of those things when we talked about rules and it's, it's these little things, like you said, if you don't play a lot of games, you don't realize it. Right. Yeah, that's true. And it's funny that uh, you're talking about teaches. I've got two big teaches coming up that I'm going to be interesting to see how it goes. First up, assuming it works out, I'll be teaching you and a couple other people, Cuba Libra. And it's funny, as I'm thinking about how to teach this, I'm coming at it as these are seasoned gamers who take things literally. And it's very important in coin games that you take things literally as stated on the page, which is good. But I'm also going to be teaching it that way. And so I can't wait to see how that goes. But then also at Tantrum Con, I am going to be teaching the new uh, Lord of the Rings revised core set. New as in, it's not changed. It's just they're re-releasing the initial set. And it's called the revised core set. And on our Twitch channel, I played a solo game. I opened it up, did a full box opening and showed how to set up the deck and everything. And I will say, uh, you, you probably know about this, Tony. The revised core set now includes three of every card. Remember with the ori- original, you had some that had three, some that had two, some had one. I haven't. I was looking at some of the art. I did not count it. I was going to ask you that. Because when yep. I was going through it and I opened it up, and I wanted to see what was different. It didn't seem like there would be enough cards in that a little bitty box. Or not little bitty box, but the little area where they've got them, that there would be enough. But I guess there is. There is three of everything. So um, at the Tantrum Con, uh, which we'll be attending from February 24th to 27, 2022, because it's right here in Charlotte. And we're going to be doing a special moon pie eating event on um, from 8 to 9 on Saturday night, uh, where we're going to do something and pick several people to come and see how long... Does it take for a person to eat an entire box of mini moon pies, which is 12 minis, and the person who wins will win a prize? Uh, so we're going to be doing that event. But during that day, I will be teaching uh, the Lord of the Rings Revised Core Edition. So I wanted to play through again and make sure I had the, the rules. And I think I've got it, but it'll be interesting to see how well I can teach uh, this game. Then hopefully you and I can get together sometime and kind of play this game again and see if it still has the same feels to us that it used to years ago. So when I was going through it, I was like, okay, I need to sit down. I was curious, is the artwork in the Lord of the Rings still the same? Does it all look? And it pretty much does. And I mean, they added, you know, the revised core set that give you the additional cards. I just, I wasn't sure about that. I like how they got rid of the flying wing in the box. You have mm-hmm. a, a mini tray now that you can stack yep. your cards. Even though I have all the cards I have aren't going to fit in there. Sure. But, and this is the same thing they did with the Marvel Champions box mm-hmm. insert. Uh, they now, with the box core set, they give you a plastic insert for being able to store a decent amount of cards. If you want to start, you know, collecting and playing, you could be able to get everything in that in that box, which is what they've done here. And they're going to be releasing like individual hero packs and stuff. So they're going to make the game a little bit easier to get into. And I still dream of a day 
our weekend to where we go and you know sequester ourselves somewhere and play the saga expansions with Lord of the Rings and play through you know the trilogy. Yeah, I've been sequestered for two years, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, that's 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 true. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I did like that they did, um, you know, you had the campaigns in the original core mm-hmm. box. Now they've got these boon cards and burden cards that will help carry the campaign over. So it brings in a um, cohesive, mm-hmm. continues yep. to build on the story where you don't feel like it's three disjointed stories that you've got. It. And, and actually, in the original, you could do that as well, but, but you, you didn't have that cohesive. Yep. They, the whole campaign mode was kind of added later in the series, but now they've reincorporated it back into the core game. So it was like, hey, if you want to make this one big story, as you play, it's like you're going to add these cards to the, you know, your individual decks and your people to the individual decks. You need, like one of them was, you got to make sure this person stays alive through the campaign sort of deal. So it adds a story-driven element to the revised core set. And that is out now. If you never played the game, you, you might want to see how it, if it is for you, how it stands to the test of time. That's why I would like to get with you, Tony, and play it and go, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is aged well. It's like, ooh, there's been a lot of changes over the past several years that uh, we wish that Lord of the Rings would have had back yeah. then. And the only last thing I'm going to say is when I was going through it, I was looking through. This is an example of a good rule book, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. they've got these big, it's got big font. They spared no trees. I'm happy with that. <laughs> I mean, plenty of pages, but like, I mean, the game setup is going along here and it's two pages, but these big numbers said, here's step one, not this little itty bitty font that you got to then track over to a map of what the game board looks like. And you're like, is that a seven or is that a one? I can't tell. Hold on. Let me get my readers three times out now because I need to be able to figure this out. Oh, and this is how you need to set this up. Oh, here's the spheres of influence. I was going through all this and I was like, Oh, look at the pretty artwork on page number 12. You know, um, uh, the lady of the lake. I'm like, Oh, that's pretty. I remember that. You when you do that with a game, you know, you, you go back to the original feelings that you got when you originally saw the, the artwork. You're like, oh, yeah, thanks for doing that, guy. Yeah, Appreciate the that. artwork still is some of my favorite in the of any LCGs. I just think the artwork in there is gorgeous. Again, if you have the original core set, this doesn't add anything. Uh, it's the exact same cards, the exact same rules, except as Tony mentioned, they does add the campaign cards to it. And if you only have one core set, then there are some cards you've only got one of. Now they've revised it so that you get multiple of everything. You didn't get in my wallet, so you don't need to play the the, the music. But it has been a rough video game week. I finally started breaking down on the Nintendo Switch and been playing some games. So I'm, I'm excited about that. So I've got my Thornbreaker, which I, I recommend, by the way. In, in fact, uh, Tony and I have really been getting into like video game discussion and everything uh, more recently. So we're going to kind of, every as we've done in previous episodes, the outro is going to be a lot, a lot of focus on video games. So if you're into video game discussion, make sure to check out the final segment that we're going to be doing. Like today, we're going to be talking about, we're trying to get Guild Wars going in our uh, Discord channel. I've had a lot of fun playing that. And a question that I'm going to ask Tony that a lot of people are now talking about in video game discussions should video games always have an easy mode and i'm willing to get uh, your thoughts on that tony we'll we'll uh, we'll talk about that in the outro so make sure to listen all the way through and that will be in the final segment of this episode now to the legal side of things oh yes the legal side of things oh oh i know where you're going with this yes go you've got a bone to pick and it's going to be my same bone 
So two NC State alumni, which helps us out a little bit here, Rhett and Link have gotten a new uh, show. I think it's on the Food Network. Is that where it is? I believe is? so. I believe yep. so. Don't care. It's not worth $5. These people aren't worth $5. Not now. Not now. Mm-mm. I'm not watching this show. It's called The Taste Buds. So either <laughs> they listen to our podcast and say, oh, <laughs> dang, that's a great idea. Or the Food Network came up with it well before we did, but they didn't announce it. And I'm sure it's now trademarked, but it doesn't matter. We didn't know about it until then, but still, they stole our name. I'm going uh, with yes, that. Yes, they did. Now, it just happens to be extremely ironic that you and I, NC State grads from engineering, have a show or segment called Taste Buds. And then here's these two guys who are NC State grads in engineering that's coming out with a Taste Buds show on Food Network. Yes, and I'll understand why they're on the Food Network. They're prettier to the eyes. Sure they are, and a lot more entertaining. But they don't have a cool jingle like this. Taste, 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 you actually have said you're not going to tell me what we're tasting no. today. You just handed me a Pop-Tart. I, well, I handed you a, a sleeve of Pop-Tarts. There's two in there. Sleeve and of Pop-Tarts. Sleeve of Pop-Tarts. So we are going to be taste, testing a new flavor of Pop-Tart that I saw on the grocery store shelf. And luckily they were on sale. So you, we were able to do this. So we're going to go ahead and open these up in a nice foil pack that will electrocute a um, microwave. I don't, so yeah. here, here's the thing. I don't know what this is. So, oh, whoa. Whoa. Okay. Let's, let's, let's see if we can explain this to the audience. So this is a frosted pop tart mm-hmm. with a crisscross Design. yellow icing mm-hmm. or something on it. Sure. We can call this icing. I'm sure by the FDA rules, okay. they can call it icing. It has a cinnamon flavor to me. A scent. Sorry. You sure it's cinnamon? No. Okay. All right, you okay. ready to take a bite of this? I, I'm ready to take a bite. I do All not right, know well, what first, this before, is. Before you bite, take a look at your Pop-Tart. Now, this is always common for a Pop-Tart. When a Pop-Tart goes through its icing machine, mm-hmm. it always starts at a level and then trails off, and there's always extra extra icing at the end of it. See what I'm saying? Be, be right the there. Edge, the edge. Yeah. When you bite into a Pop-Tart, do you save that edge for last or that edge goes first? I'll be 100% honest with you. I've never, ever noticed that before in my entire life. Um, I thought you. I thought you were with me, brother. That's okay. Okay. So I always go with the icing edge first because I want to get a full taste of the icing. So you ready? Yeah. Here we go. go. There's not a lot of filling. Mm -mm. Nope. Barely none. I think that's supply chain issues on filling. I'm not getting much taste. Maybe it needed to be warm. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm honestly drawing, I'm mainly tasting the pastry and not, Mm-hmm. The filling. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Our, our filling is is void almost. Sorry, I need to make a guess of what I think it might be. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cinnamon rolls, cinnamon bun. That is one of their flavors, but not this one. Okay. They have that. They have apple fritter. This is the new Let Go My Ego. Maple. That's your maple That's syrup. what it is. It's maple, not cinnamon. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I don't get this at all. It's supposed to be Eggos. What is the waffle thing? The waffle Lego Ego? Yeah, yeah, Lego my Ego. It's like a, the, the round waffle. Mm-hmm. That's I what mean, this is. It's fine, but I don't get waffle taste. In fact, the maple flavor is very light. I wasn't smelling cinnamon. I misidentified that. It was maple. That's exactly what it is. Now that you said it. It's fine. I don't need a box of these. No, it's Eggo Pop-Tarts Frosted Maple Flavor. Well, it didn't help. I just had homemade pancakes this morning with some real maple syrup. So (laughs) I went from having the real thing to a artificially flavored Pop-Tart. So it probably didn't help there. It's a flaky buttery crust paired with a sweet, iconic maple flavored filling with a yellow icing. This toaster pastry combines all the best elements of an Eggo and Pop-Tarts. That's fine. It's okay. I mean, my favorite, of course, is always going to be cherry. But if I want a brown sugar and cinnamon, for it gives me that dessert flavor. How many calories is this one of these things, by the way? <clears throat> oh, uh, calories, nutrition facts. Are you sure you want to know this? I, I need to. I got to log it now. Oh, As I man. ate the whole thing. It's not that great. I just ate the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you still have an extra one. Give it to Vanessa. She can. She yeah, can. she wanted to try whatever it was. Uh, servings uh, container is uh, serving size is two pastries, so you only had half a serving, mm-hmm. all right? So that will ca- calculate 190 calories. Oh my gosh! With a total fat of six grams, your carbohydrates. Holy freaking cow! I shouldn't have asked. Thirty four. Woo! That's half of a serving. Half of the total carb- carbohydrates are sixty seven, and guess how much of it's dietary fiber. Versus sugars. Very little dietary fiber, I assume. 30 grams of total sugars. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is some good eats right here. Uh, no wonder. Wow. So, no wonder I'm so, so usually well taste buds it isn't that bad on the diet because it's some sort of uh, sugar-free drink and not mm. a, uh, a Pop-Tart. And the last time, you know, Vanessa's like, don't, don't you boys ever know fruit? Well, if I can find a dragon fruit, have you ever had dragon fruit? Mm-mm. I hadn't either. I'm going to find us a dragon fruit. That'll probably be one of our next taste buds. But they came out with like three new additional Pop-Tart flavors. And I was like, eh, we'll give this one a try. So uh, I don't know the other two. Do the, Are the other two available? Yeah, apple fritter. And I forget what the other one is. Ooh, apple fritter I'd be into because I like the fruit stuff. Yeah. Speaking of new things, did you hear about this? Little Debbie is going to be releasing ice cream flavors. I did hear about this. Y'all check this out. All right. You, you got to hear the stuff that's coming out. And then after I, after I go through the list, Tony, tell me the top two that you want to try most of all. Boston, Boston cream donut pop tarts. What? That was the third flavor there. They came out with three Eggo, Boston oh, cream donut and apple fritter. Sorry. Boston. Eh, I'm not a big Boston cream fan. I'm not but. either. Okay. Anyway, here's, here are the new. Little Debbie ice cream flavors that are available. It looks like maybe only at Walmart. And one pint containers for $2.50. Oatmeal cream pies, which is vanilla cream ice cream with a soft oatmeal cookie pieces and a hint of molasses. Cosmic brownies, which is brownie batter ice cream filled with mini rainbow chips and brownie pieces. Zebra cakes, white cake ice cream with yellow cake pieces and a milk chocolate fudge swirl. Honey buns. Honey bun flavored ice cream with glazed honey bun pieces and a sweet cinnamon swirl. Strawberry shortcake rolls. White cake ice cream with yellow cake pieces and a tart strawberry swirl. 
Swiss Rolls, chocolatey cake ice cream with chocolate cake pieces and a swirl of whipped cream. Nutty Butters, peanut butter ice cream swirled with chocolatey waffle cone pieces and a thick fudge swirl. So out of all those, Tony, if you were to go up to the Walmart uh, dairy section, ice cream section, and mm -hmm. pick up two of these, what would be your two? Number one would be strawberry shortcake rolls. Number two would be Swiss rolls. Okay. Okay. And my two would be oatmeal cream pies and the honey buns. I'm not, I've never been a honey bun fan, you know, mm. but that's fine. The one that I care about the least is actually cosmic brownies. To me, it's like there's been ice cream with brownies in it. So mm. I didn't really have any interest in that. Nutty bars is not far behind though, because mm -hmm. I like peanut butter and ice cream. And I do not like cake ice cream. So therefore zebra cakes would definitely not be on there for mm. me to get. I do not like that. The reason why strawberry shortcake rolls would be number one for me. It's real easy. Um, when I would go to Colstone ice cream, mm -hmm. they always had the strawberry shortcake mix in and that's what I would always get. Oh, so not, and I don't get to do that anymore. So, and so we're recording this on February 6th and according to the news report, it came out February 1st. So yesterday, Vanessa said, we're going to Walmart and mm -hmm. we're getting some Little Debbie ice cream because you didn't have a birthday weekend. So we're going to get a little bit of ice cream. I said, great. Our Walmart did not have it. Of course so not. I still have yet to try any of these, but I will. So now there is a quest and who knows, maybe it'd be a future taste buds. Maybe we uh, get a few of these and maybe uh, you pick, uh, I'll get one of the two that you picked, and I'll get one of the two that I picked, and we can do a little taste bud segment here with the new Little Debbie ice cream flavors. I'm game. Head over to Portal Games website, where they have started the new Moloch Monthly downloadable PDF magazine. That's right. You can subscribe to the Moloch monthly and receive one email per month. It's in big red, bold text on their website. Just one email per month. Always when the new issue is released. Additionally, they're going to draw a lucky winner for a free game. That's right, a free game. Become a subscriber and enjoy board game articles every month. So what are you waiting? Subscribe to the Moloch monthly PDF version. Hopefully you'll remember it'll be in your English language if you speak English. If not, I'm sure he's putting it out in a whole bunch. I know this month he's got something from Gutenberg. It's got the Gutenberg Designer Diary on it. Top 10 games of 2021. I'm sure all 10 are portal games. No, they're not. I know they're not. I'm just giving him a hard time. In fact, number one is one that he and I have been playing. He's going to come on the show later and review it with me. Once again, Ignacy's give, 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 never take. That's Ignacy. And he always, in the very first page, he's always wanted to work in a newspaper. So looking forward to getting this. I know I'm subscribed. I'm sure Marty is subscribed as well. And we are looking forward to, to this is, I guess, stepping away from operations. This is something else that he can commit his energy towards designing games and getting this newsletter out. Good for him. I'm happy for Ignacy. Be sure to check it out over at portalgames.com. Well, before we get to this game segment, during our commercial break, uh, Vanessa wanted to try uh, the Pop-Tart. 
She was hoping it was going to be Boston cream pie. I said it's not that one. <laughs> so she tried it, and she also had no clue what it was. She wondered maybe if it was a lemon something. And then when I told her, she's like, hey. okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I said, we don't need to buy a box of these. She went, no, we don't need to buy a box of these. So it was not a big hit here either. Yeah, not for the number of calories. You know, no. Like, eh. All right, well, then I won't pick those up again because they are on sale right now for $2 at your local grocery store. <laughs> Oh, you know what else is on sale? That is uh, some games from GMT. One of them is a brand new game. And we want to compare these two games because they're very similar in nature. First is Fort Sumter, designed by Mark Herman, The Secession Crisis, 1860 to 1861. And the other game that is just now came out called Red Flag Over Paris, designed by Fred Serval. And and I believe it's uh, Frederick, but I'm looking at the uh, BGG forms and he has his uh, username as that in here. And I've been actually talking to him on Twitter. Very, very nice guy. And uh, I, it was really cool to, to sit down and, and try out uh, his uh, game called uh, Red Flag of Repairs. And the reason why we're putting these two together, Tony, is because they're very similar in play style. Now, I have never played Twilight Struggle, but we've talked about before that you've tried to learn on the app, and supposedly these games are like very simplistic versions of that style of game. Does that ring true? Simplistic only in the terms of like scoring, maybe, but they still have the hardcore strategy that you need to maintain. Area control, influence, I would say that they're very similar from that standpoint. Sumter... Red Flags, Twilight. I mean, it depends on how long do you want to be playing these games is how I look at it. After after all three of them, I say, well, do I want to sit down with Marty and play an epic three to four hour game like this? No, I don't. I, I, my attention span's not there. Would I drop Red Flag or uh, Sumter on the table? Yes, right now. Let's do it. Let's play. Because they're only like 30 minutes long. Mm-hmm. They are very short and they're both like Twilight Struggle is driven by card play. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's a shared deck and uh, each person's going to get cards that they can play. The cards may have factions of, uh, that represent your type to where you can take advantage of the event. If not, there's a value on there that you can use to change the influence, uh, play some more cubes out on the board, um, et cetera. And so in that case, they're, they're all somewhat the same. With Fort Sumter, uh, one is playing as the uh, the South, one is playing as the North, and it's basically the point where there was the attack over at Fort Sumter. Like you said, Tony, it's a map with uh, area in- area control, right? That's it. You play a card, you can add some cubes, you can remove some cubes, and you play over three rounds. At the end of each round, you're going to see which of the pivotal zones have the most control if they do you get to do a special action right you mm-hmm. get to maybe add um, add a couple cubes remove a cube add or remove a cube and if you control all three of the same color you get a victory point Woo-hoo! and the whole goal is to get the most victory points and also at the beginning of the round you're dealt two objective cards you keep one if you succeed in uh, meeting your objective you get another victory point and then get to take the text or do the event that's on that objective card after three rounds, there's one more final crisis round, and the person with the most uh, victory points at the ends wins. Literally, that's how both of those games play. As long as you understand the cards, the operation points, and when you can use the events, that's the important part about the cards for me. You know, and, and that way, when knowing Fort Sumter, and I started with Twilight, but knowing Fort Sumter, that made Red Flag very simple. You know, very mm-hmm. simple. 
and where they add some of the um, harder parts of it might be in how you remove cubes or place cubes. And that's one of the big differences between the two. And also one of the things is that they kept similar is how you're pulling cubes, where you're pulling them from and who's got like, if certain events happen, certain threat mechanics kick in, all that's a big part of these games. And I like how they kept those very similar between the two. I was able to relate, you know, oh, if I do this, I'm going to be breaking the threat barrier over in Fort Sumter. Whereas if I'm doing it in red flag, certain cubes will come down for you to be able to use. And for me, I have to be able to open up for various cubes to be able to be placed. You say for you, for me, it depends on which side you're playing. So let's just talk about Fort Sumter first. Both of you, it plays the exact same way. The objectives between both of you is just score the most points. Both of you can take control over uh, different zones. The way the cubes come on the board, as Tony was just saying, from the crisis tracks is going to work the same way. If you know how to play one side, you know how to play the other. And Tony and I actually did that. We would play a game, then swap sides. And literally, like I said, both of you get four event cards, two objective cards, keep one objective. You play cards back and forth. So each of you have played three cards. And then you put one off to the side, which is used um, at the very end of the game. The cards are either marked with a gray number in the top left, a blue number in the top left, or a gray-blue. If it's gray-blue, either of you can use the event. Otherwise, you can only play the event if it matches the side that you're playing, either Union or Secessionist. And as Tony said early on, it's really, I'm putting cubes out here. If I got the most cubes there, yay, I've got control. And it might give me a victory point and some special conditions. It is really, really, really a simple game. And Tony, this is one of those games I think I could probably sit with my dad, who's not a gamer at all. And he, he may take a few minutes to really understand what's going on. But once it's up and going, I think he would get it. But after you know I've played several times, and by the way, you and I played on Steam. There's a Steam version of this that we played. It's almost a little too simple for me to where I want to play it a lot. Is that why you don't take my invitations to play on Steam very often? You kind of let them die? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. The bad thing about Steam is you don't get notified. I wish there was a way you could have it in Steam, like on your phones. It's like, hey, somebody just asked you to play a game. So I would definitely play with you again. That No, this is one of those things to where on Steam, I would easily do it back and forth. I don't know that I would sit there at lunch and pull this game out. Okay. Because, because Red Flag Over Paris exists, which to me adds more to this style of game, yes. which I enjoy more. And Instead of just landing cubes on a board. Right. And and that I think is the biggest thing. Also, another big difference for me over Sumter and Red Flag, and I don't know how you're wanting to structure this, but for me, it's all about what are the key differences. And I think like in in Sumter, when you look at the board, the various areas of control or profile, you know, you know me, I simplify in, in Sumter, I got cannon, stars, and bell. <laughs> that represent the different uh, zones the that you can control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. The play, yeah, the, the theater. So, you know, they're they're spread out all over the board, right? Mm-hmm. Where in Red Flag, you have them um, centered. You have the, the the war area. You have the political side of it, and then you have the public side of it on the on on Red Flag. And I like how they redid that they designed it and there's actually the interaction between the various zones like in the war zone you can't go from this area down to the lower tier you have to have built built up a cube in an adjacent area to be able to go to the next area you can't suddenly just jump over there 
So there's some mm-hmm. strategy when that comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I like that from, from this side of the game versus Sumter, where it was just based on the card I got, I go play. That's where I'm going to be playing to these cubes. So you could play cubes anywhere in Sumter, and there are some restrictions mm-hmm. where you can play cubes in the other one. Now, theme-wise, people may not be wondering, what is Red Flag over Paris? So uh, this is basically pitting the French government in Versailles against the Paris Commune. It represents uh, the time during 1871 called the Bloody Week in May of 1871. So somebody plays as Versailles, uh, which represents the government trying to find a diplomatic uh, end to the 1870 war against Prussia and take back military control of Paris. They're about military. The commune, the player represents the people of Paris rising up against the bourgeois and the capillard government of Versailles. They're more about the political side of this, which adds something that's totally different. These are asymmetric factions. You win in different ways. With Versailles side, you try to win by having the most military strength. With the commune, you try to win by having the most political strength. And then you win. Yeah. I, I love it, it in the uh, B- BGG, the uh, designer of Red Flag of Paris actually listed the same things and the differences between the two. So, when Tony, instead of you trying to list them, let's go with the actual designer. No, it's more fun with me so I can confuse people. <laughs> the things that are exact same between Fort Sumter and Red Flag of Paris. It's car-driven. There's a crisis track you take the cubes from, mm-hmm. which is important because if you get a bunch of cubes on the board, you actually trigger crisis events. And if you're the first person to f- trigger the final crisis event in both games, you lose a victory point. So it's like, oh, I'm going to get all my forces on the board. Well, if you do that, yeah, it's going to cost you a victory point in the end. Has very similar turn sequence. Has a special final turn or called the final crisis where those leftover cards that you played each round can be used. And then you score points in the same way. So here's the main differences between the two. Two distinct fronts, political and military, with slightly different rules. Adjacency between spaces. Tony, you mentioned that. You just can't go from one space to another. You got to have adjacency in a place that you want to go to. Cards can be used in different ways. Asymmetric victory conditions. Each player has its own momentum track in a different cube economy. Now, I thought this was interesting, Tony. Like you had said earlier, in commune, you have to move up on the momentum track far enough to where if you lose cubes, you have a place to put those cubes and back into your supply. If you don't, you lose those, lose those cubes forever. In the Versailles side, if I lose cubes off the board, if you remove them or something like that, I just have an area I can put them back in. I can reuse them. If you're playing commune, you got to make sure to get your momentum up so that you have a place to store cubes that are removed from the board. Otherwise, they're gone from the game permanently. Yeah, that's stunk. Because I didn't realize yep. that if I didn't have a place for them, they would disappear. And that's, those are things you've got to manage. You've got mm-hmm. to do that balance between, you know, getting your momentum, getting, oh, what's my victory? How am I going to win on my victory condition? And I think it's very important that you're paying attention to that because, as we know in these games, having those cubes out on the board are very important. And if, if your pool is reduced, then you're going to be hurting in later stages of the game. You cannot maintain that area control. And right. I was getting concerned in one of our games. You you were picking me off left and right, and I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. And also one thing I also like in Red Flag of Repairs too is if I play, uh, let's say I'm I'm the blue side, and I play a red card, and I so the only thing I do is use the number in the top. Let's say it's three, which allows me to maybe put some cubes on the board or try to remove cubes, which is different too, and I'll talk about that in a second. 
When I put that card on the discard pile, Tony, on your turn, you may go, ooh, I really like that event that I could have used if I had had it in my hand. For my turn, I'm going to discard this card out of my hand to use the event that I just discarded, which really adds this whole strategy thing. It's like, I don't want to give Tony the opportunity to use this card that I'm getting ready to discard because the event's too good. And if I remember in Twilight Struggle, it's been a while on that one, but in Twilight Struggle, if I play a card that's your faction, you automatically get the event. If I think, mm. if I'm thinking correctly, I'm trying to think back because it has been a while, but I would get the operations points and then all, but I'm giving you the option of using the event then or later. So there's an added element to Twilight Struggle. Here, I've got to sacrifice a card, but at least I get to use that card. Oh, in order for me to copy that, I'm going to have to play three operational points, but at least I'm using an event that I could really um, benefit from, especially meeting my objective. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm with you. I, I think that was a unique twist to the game. I like how I would then, maybe I could copy with a card that serves me no purpose other than operation points, and, and then I put the onus on you. Do you want to copy it? Because I just played one of yours. Right. And, and now you're like, huh. And I like how that would develop a back and forth between us as we're playing cards. It makes a more a strategic, man, I really could use three operations points, but I really want that event. Good, good decision-making mm -hmm. points right there. And then the very final rounds a little bit is uh, different too between uh, Fort Sumter and the other one. So you get dealt four cards per round. Whatever card you don't use is put aside. Then after three rounds, you take those three cards that you pulled out in Fort Sumter and on one side, there's the things you talked about, Tony. There was the cannons, which the arm, armaments or the other two types of uh, zones that you're trying to control. One by one, you're going to compare. I'm going to show one. Tony, you show one. If they're the same, we get to do something, some way of moving or changing cubes or something. If they're different, there's a different result. It's totally different in Red Flag Over Paris, which I appreciated was that extra leftover card, when I play it, if it's not my event, if say if it's mm -hmm. your color, you get to activate it. So I've got to think about, oh, geez, in that final crisis, I want to make sure I have some cards that I can use and you can't because otherwise you can swing the final area control scoring at the end of the game to win the overall game. Yes. Now, what was it in Fort Sumter? It was something about the card, like successionist We'd flip the cards over, right? Yeah. So the bottom of the card had, like I said, each of the different zones, which you called what? You called them stars. Bells and, and uh, cannons. And, uh, here. What it was was secession, armaments, and public opinion. So there was a blue, red, and green card. And so you're comparing the colors at the end. That's how you resolve the final crisis. I like red flag over Paris better because you have a little bit more control of what's going to happen at the at the end, too. There's more strategy to this, to Red Flag over Paris, over Fort Sumter. But they both play in 30 minutes. The setup is nothing. Probably the longest setup is putting your little cubes out in the uh, the crisis zone that you're going to be pulling from, you know, putting on the spaces. Shuffle the cards, deal each four, two objective cards, and you're off and running. And rounds move very fast. Oh, one thing I want to talk about, too, was something that's different is that if I play a card for its value, uh, if I want to remove in Red Flag over Paris, if I want to remove one of Tony's cubes and it's in a military zone, I actually have to build up military strength. Mm -hmm. For example, if I'm trying to knock out one of his in a zone that I am in, I get, uh, I, I get a plus one. 
If it's an adjacent to an area that I control, I get a plus one. My goal is to at least get to three. If I get three or greater in support from around that area I'm trying to remove a piece, it automatically succeeds. But if it's two or less, then what you do is flip over the next event card from the deck and you compare the value in the upper left. And if your value is higher than that card, so if my value was a two and I draw a one, it succeeds. But if I draw a three, it fails and I do not get a chance to remove his piece. But even more to that is, and again, that doesn't exist in uh, Fort Sumter. There's also this potential of having fortifications or forts out there in that there are event cards that I like to add maybe a fort. When there's a fort in an area and you try to remove somebody's piece, it costs you two of your points to try to attempt to remove a piece as opposed to just Mm -hmm. one. So you can make an area a little bit tougher to take control of. Which I think is a key difference in for Sumter because we had the way to lock down a, a zone. And I forget what yes. that little... It was a little pond, basically, that uh, with the right card, you could lock down a zone to where you can't go there or anything. It's kind of like locked down until that piece gets moved. So that was a nice difference. That was kind of... Yep. When you see that pond on the board in for Sumter, you're like, man, I, but I just got these cards that could really help me, but I can't do anything with them. So I might as well use their value. But man, this is a good event for that area. In political, if you're trying to remove a, pl- a one from the political side, it just comes off. That only matters if you're trying to remove a card from a military area. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to Fighting. remove a cue from, from a political, you ain't got to do any checks or anything. You just remove it. You got to fight. You got to you got you know take battle. You got to hurt people. I tell you, uh, Red Flag Over Paris, I really, 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 really like. I honestly, if it was just you and me, I, I wouldn't even pull out for Sumter because the asymmetric play... Uh, just the way the cards work a little bit different, the the final round, being able to use the event card that was on the discard pile, all those little things add up to a really solid two-player 30-minute game. Mm-hmm. The only thing I like more than Fort Sumter is the theme, and that's going to make obvious sense because I'm from North Carolina. I had ancestors that fought in this war. I've been to Fort Sumter and visited and stuff, so there's nostalgia there because I know the history of that. More than I do Red Flag Over Paris, but Tony, what I love about GMT games is there is a book that's included in the rules that tells you about all the events that happened during that time. So it was really interesting to me. I, I knew nothing about this that happened during 1871. So I read the playbook, which gives you all the background of the people on the cards, the events and everything. And so I learned something from that. And that was also very valuable to me too. Well, look at that. A game was teaching you something other than most victory points win. Yep. On my side of it, both are excellent. Yeah, you and I, let's, we would be playing red flag. If I were to play with you know someone else, just family, you know, like Rebecca, I think this would be too much for Donna to mm-hmm. be able to play. If I were at a convention and playing with someone, don't know him from Adam, I would probably put for Sumter on the table just because easier teach. And maybe we both know, especially if, we, if we've both played Twilight Struggle. Yep. I'm kind of torn. I think the removing gets complicated at times, but once you get mm. it down, it's not that bad understanding the operations. I mean, I did. I struggled. The first time we played that, I was like, I do not get what they're doing here. Second time, ah, follow the process, man. Follow the flow chart. It's not that hard. Your first operations point, if you want to remove, you always have to remove first. You, you can't place and then remove. It's remove first, and then you can place. So you could spend your points however you want. So if you had three points, you may decide to try to Remove a cube, remove a cube, then you can add. Or you can do all three adds or try to remove all three. This is 
Red Flag over Paris and Fort Sumter. Uh, both are out now, right from from GMT Games. Red Flag over Paris is brand new. I'm loving it. I'm loving playing these historical games, and these two games will be staying on my shelf for a very long time. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. The next one I want to talk about is Bequest, another WizKids game. This is designed by Merrick. Tupi, T-U-P-Y. I swear one of these days I'm going to take a class on how to pronounce names. But anyway, right off the straight. Right off the straight. Right off the straight. It's right there on the front of the box. Only one henchman can become the next great supervillain, a divide the loot card game. And that's what it is. Split, you choose. I split, you choose games, Marty. And we enjoy our I split, you choose games. I don't have enough of these in my library. I honestly do not have a, a, a split. I split you choose games and I absolutely flipping love this game. I love being dealt five cards and trying to decide how I want to divide these between my partner, either to the left or right, depending on the round that you're playing. I can either do one and four or three and two and then hope that I set up something that doesn't really benefit him and whatever he leaves over is back comes back to me for me to use. When you set this up based on, you got to have three players. So as you're going between, I don't think you can play, you don't want to play this with two players, but so I'm, I split, you're going to pick. And then the person to my right, if I, you're to my left, the person to my right, he's going to split. I'm going to pick one and then I get what's left. And then hopefully you didn't do pick the ones that I wanted you to leave behind <laughs> because I know what I'm going for. So that's phase one. Split, choose, decide how you're going to give them out. You can give them out three to two or four to one. Zero to five is not really fair, so you can't do that. Then you go into a special card draft, which includes like schemes or um, minions that come into play that give you a special advantage. But to be able to draft those cards, you have to have the card that allows you to do it. So yes. in a three-player game, there was one card that had number one, one card that had number two. So the person who ended up with the number one card got the first pick. And the other person got number the second pick, and the third person got nothing. Right. These were the special keys, and the more players you have, the more keys, the more henchmen that come out or schemes. End of the game, after five rounds, you total it up. Most victory points wins or most money. Excuse me. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And there's a ways to get the victory points is by having global influence in either the Western or Eastern uh, hemispheres. Which is basically having a majority of those types of cards at the end of the game. Yes. Gadgets have set collection. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you have who has you, how many cannons do you have? How many cores do you have? Treasure. These are cards that are flipped down. And as you can count up your treasure, the first treasure's worth one, the second one's worth two. Great way to, you know, you're building up your treasure, your hoard. Then you've got um, another card, hideouts. How many hideouts? The cost of the hideouts. The more hideouts you have, the more money you get. And then, of course, there is evidence. Evidence hurts you if you have more than three evidence against you. Because think about it, Marty. They've discovered who you are. You don't want evidence. I know. I know. And if you have more than three evidence, this is going to cost you three bucks per evidence that you have. That's not good. Evidence is bad. Yeah. And then there's schemes uh, that you can uh, be able to draft from that totally breaks everything. So, Tony, I believe you had a scheme that was like, you got bonuses for having evidence. Yes. I got, uh, so you're actually trying to collect more evidence and it's like, it wasn't going to hurt you as bad the more you got. That's right. That, and that's part of the special draft. Those are schemes and lackeys or minions split. You choose 
love these games. This was fast moving, easy to set up, and it was fun trying to figure out how am I going to keep Marty from getting global domination or, oh, I see Bird is trying to collect a whole bunch of cannons. I don't want him to pick that from the pack I left there on the table from him. Like how that is. I like how it, it seemed kind of, um, Marty kept saying, I'm just going to take this one. No, you need to put your token down, Marty, so that we all don't know what you're doing over here because it can influence you. <laughs> Love the game. I, I Fast, quick. This is going to be on the table a lot when we're waiting on Mark to make it to game night. <laughs> yeah, I, I am the same way. I didn't think we mentioned this, but everybody plays their cards face up. So you see exactly what people are trying to work on, mm. which is that great decision point. Oh, it's simultaneous play, y'all. That's why it's so fast. Everybody has their cards. They split how they want. And then all of you simultaneously get the cards back into your hand, resolve them. There's no scoring or anything till the very end. So it's not like between rounds that you're scoring. Scoring only happens at the very end. After you're done with the round, Tony brings out a new deck of cards, deals them out, puts out a couple of new cards in the middle of the table uh, to be able to draft from. After that, five rounds, you're done. I want a copy of this game myself. I love it so much. Oh, I really want Bequest on my shelf too. So that is Bequest from WizKids Game. Y'all, seriously, I split, you choose. There's several of them out there, but this is one of my favorites. Five-minute initiative is complete. Oh, wait. There's an advanced mode where there's supervillains have superpowers. I forgot that. Oh, you mean like each player has special abilities? Yeah. Oh, then we got to play it again next game night. I was able to get three sisters on the table, and that is another pinchback riddle game, and it is the follow-up to Fleet the Dice game, and luckily, I was able to play this with my wife, who hasn't been on the show in a while. Welcome, Donna. Thank you for having me again. Well, you know, it's just it's getting you settled in, making sure that you have time for me. I know how busy you are. So it's important that we were able to play this game and then actually play Fleet to compare it. So three sisters, another rolling right, and you enjoy your rolling rights. I do. I do like my rolling rights. You still know which one's your favorite? Is it Dizzle? Yeah, I think so. I think so. That I, I like that one. Yeah. The I one. usually can kick everybody's butt in that one. And you pretty much kick my butt in all of these games. That's, that's all right. It's, it's about the enjoyment. So not about <laughs> Did who, you have fun? On this one, when we finally got to play it right. And I, okay, so let's go ahead and put it out there. I screwed up the rules again. I know, shocker, surprising. But when I read it the first time, I was reading it that you would do this action and then proceed to the next step. No, you kept doing the same actions. You plant in your garden and then you do a rondelle action. The next phase, you're going to do a plant and a rondelle. So for three sisters compared to fleet, you're doing pretty much the same thing in the first round or in the first phase. In fleet, you're gathering fish. Here, you're planting. Yes. And you get to pick which die. Yes. So for planting, when you pick a die, what does that tell you to do? Plant. <laughs> but plant where? The gardens in are whatever set whatever number die you pick. So the gardens are set up in six, six yes, zones. Yes, one through six. But do you have to plant? No, you can water. And so if you water in that zone, you get to fill in a whole bunch of boxes. Yes. And I have to say in the first time that we played this, I uh, 
wasn't realizing what planting entailed versus what watering was, and I was kind of doing them interchangeably. Ah. But I played it right the last time. We, we, we did. It took us a while, but we finally got it right on the table. Yes. But for me, I think the big difference between Fleet and Three Sisters is that the second phase, there's a rondelle for Three Sisters, right? It has various actions on it. Right. With those actions, the lowest die, both players will then do the rondelle action. But in Fleet, what's the difference? Um, there's a second set of die that gets rolled, and uh, the starting player gets to pick first, and then the other player gets to pick what's left. And, and then you do the same thing for the last die, because there's three die rolled. Right. And that's the town action. Mm-hmm. And so here you're doing the rondelle and the gardening, and it's all right there. But in Fleet, you're going to the town. But what's what's the ultimate goal in a rolling right? Uh, to be able to do what? Um, hmm. Besides, not get, real sure. I think it's to get the most victory points. It's to get the most victory points. But what are you trying to do? What are you trying to build up in a rolling right? It's a bunch of combos, right? Yes, you're trying to make it so that when you pick something, another action happens that leads you to more points. And the farther along in the game, what happens? And this happens to me. It snowballs. And then you get lost. <laughs> and then you're like, did I take that bonus action? Oh, did I get another bonus action? I found that at the end of this game, actually. Um, the very last ac- um, round action or whatever is rain. And that just finished off a lot of things for me. And then you kind of get lost in how many goods you got. And then you get the goods and then you get bonus actions and you know, you kind of lose track of, did I take my bonus action? Did I mark my goods? I don't know what I did. Um, and I find that a little confusing. And goods in Three Sisters, it's very similar to coins and fleet. When you're getting the coins, as you fill up the coins, when you pass a star. so so You get a bonus action. Yeah. Riddle, Pinchback, thank you for keeping that similar between the two. Oh, they played very similarly, I think. I don't know. I think I kind of liked Fleet better than I liked um, Three Sisters. Um, Do you know why? I think because of the confusion of it. First off, like the first phase is called, what, the garden phase Mm -hmm. or something. But yet in the garden phase, you do the garden and the rondelle. Then you do the rondelle phase and you do the garden and the rondelle. And I find that kind of confusing. So first one is the the planning for phase. That's that's the first phase where you roll out the dice and you you plant the the dice and then you're right. Then the gardening phase where you pick a die. But I in pick. the plant phase you do the garden action and the rondelle action because remember when you pick the die off of the rondelle, mm-hmm. you plant or water in the phase of the number of the die you pick. But then you also do the rondelle action that's underneath that die that you picked. Right. But then you move on to what they call the rondelle action or mm-hmm. rondelle phase. Action. And you, action. No, you're okay. right. Okay. Well, I thought it was the garden phase or the planting phase and then the rondelle no. phase. And then you do the same thing again where you're planting in a different zone usually mm-hmm. and doing a rondelle again. So it will cost us $5 if we don't get it right. This is how it works at Rolling Dice and Taking Names, where if we screw up, it'll cost us $5 in miniature market money. So I have to be careful. So there's the planning phase, the gardening phase, and then the um, event phase. You're right that the garden action is when you pick the die, do the garden where you plant, water, and then do the rondelle action for your die. And then in the rondelle action, you 
get that dye plant there or water there and do that rondelle action. Yes. See, even just explaining it is confusing. Yeah. And I've played it now and I understand it, but I find the terminology maybe um, confusing. And I can see how we messed it up the first time because you're kind of repeating the same thing, but one for a dye you choose and one for the lowest dye left on the rondelle. Right. And I think that's that's what we got to keep straight. You're always going to do a garden rondelle action for the die you pick, and then a garden rondelle action for the die that's left on the board. Right. I was just like, okay. I found uh, the other one a little less confusing in that matter. Yeah. Also, I found, you know, when you go to the town uh, in Fleet, it's about scoring various points and getting additional um, boats out, things like that. Here, you're going to the tool shed. They're going to take you to the shed. And in the shed, you'll have various contraptions. They've got a tractor. Look at them. They've got some lawn equipment and rolling dice and taking names really appreciates them having lawn equipment, but you got that. Yeah. You're, you, you like your mower, don't you? Yeah. I love my mower. So you got, you got the, you got the mowers, you got the string trimmers, you, you got mulch going on. You got, Wheelbarrows, uh, seed spreaders. Yeah. Seed spreaders important because it allows you to plant an additional one because you don't, when you plant, you only yeah, plant Yeah. I think two. you kind of learned that from me, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And that's fine. And also, I mean, they're all good actions. So you have to develop a way to make sure that you benefit for uh, in future steps from those shed actions that you've picked up that stay with you. And then also in fleet, you're getting fish. Here you have the chance to go to the apiary to get fruits. And then you can go down to what is it? The perennials, which what was a perennial in a plant? A plant that comes back every year. There you go. Well, you got you know. Look at them, and and it's irises and crocuses, and not in our yard. The hydrangeas seem to never want to come back. I I think I need to transplant them somewhere and get them. I don't know. I think the deer like them. I think the deer do like them. Which we had eight in our yard tonight. That was pretty impressive. So you you've got all these actions and and going around, and and those are the the perennials and the apiary and the shed and the fruit. Those are bonus actions. Which when we were reading the rule book, it was funny because in the rule book it said do a bonus action, but then there was the words for what's a bonus action was never spelled out except back there somewhere. So you had to find, you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. I said it really kind of needed to have been in a box that was um, separate because actually it was at the end. If you remember, it was at the end of the instructions about what a actually a bonus move was. Or, but it kind of needed to be pulled out because they refer to bonus actions multiple times. Yeah, because I'm old. I need it boxed out. I need it highlighted, put in a different color. Um, I needed my reading glasses because I We've read to, enough rule books to yeah. know that some of those things you just kind of have to, you know, shout and scream at you. Mm-hmm. So overall, you enjoyed Fleet more than Three Sisters. I, f- I find them both equal as far as theme goes. Would I prefer planting in a garden or going fishing. Um, well, you're not really a fisherman, so. True. I'm not I'm not a fisherman, but. I don't know. I just liked, I liked the flow and the logistics of, I'm not a fisher person either, but um, I like the flow of fleet, I think. Okay. I'm, I'm, it's kind of a toss up for me. I, I think that this is one of those where I would play either one and try to figure out what's the best way to score. I know I want to play Three Sisters again because I've yet to win. So that's important to me. <laughs> yeah, laugh it up, chuckles. Overall, as far as theme, it's a rolling right. 
did you feel like a theme came through? I mean, it was kind of, the spreader was kind of neat. That, that met the theme of getting you additional crops. The tractor just sat there and scored you a whole bunch of victory points. And I will have to agree, if you have a cool, long tractor, that is cred. Yeah, but I never did the tractor. The tractor's worth 18 victory points, but yeah, you really of, have to focus. It takes a long time to get to that. It takes it, a lot of focus on getting there. Yeah. And I was curious if that would um, be better than something else sometimes. But the seed spreader, I mean, it's only two victory points, but it lets you plant an extra crop um, each time you planted. So, Yeah, and that's part of the strategy is figuring out how you can combo off of the seed spreader or go just for the strong victory points of the tractor. Or are you going to go to fruit and put labels on your mason jars, which, you know, of course, there's the rolling dice and taking name mason jars that I wish we still had a few, but we don't. We've sent them all away. Final words on Three Sisters. What did you like? We know what you didn't like, but what what were the things you liked about it? Um, I liked that it was, you know, challenging and that you had to think through things. Yeah. A lot of strategy. And I won. Well, of course. Games are always better when you win. I know this. For me, I think it was quick. I I enjoyed the rondelle and not having to roll additional dice. That was kind of nice. That to me was, you know, a quick way to determine strategy. I need to take this die hoping that this, this rondelle action would then be picked later. Yeah. So I enjoyed that part of it. So either one, put them on the table. Uh, I'll admit, they were both fun. Mm-hmm. I liked them both. I do like how quick Three Sisters is. I think that was the biggest thing for me. Yeah. The first time we played it and we played it wrong, um, I said it was way too fast, that it mm-hmm. needed more rounds. But, you know. Um, when we played it right, it was okay that way. (laughs) (laughs) We did manage to fill up more of the board that time. The first time we played it, it was like, what's all these spaces for? Because we're not using them. Yeah. I'm glad I backed it on Kickstarter. And we have, we didn't even talk. There's a weather module that's already included with this where weather comes into play and may impact some of the actions. We'll get that on the table as well. Okay. I have to try it again. We will because I want to win. Not that I'm going to, but I want to win. So this is Three Sisters from Pitchback and Riddle from Motor City Games. It is crazy how many sales miniature markets just always have going on. I'm looking at it right now. There's a Cupid's Favorite Games where they have some sales based on Valentine's Day. And also right now they're having up to a 90% off clearance blowout sale because Tony, they got a lot of games coming out going, coming out this year. They need to clear out that warehouse and make room for all those games. Then every day, their front page is updated with brand new arrivals. And the thing is, y'all, the prices over here at Miniature Market are amazing. They're some of the lowest online prices that you have. And you know what? If you find it lower somewhere online, they have price matching. All you got to do is show them this game somewhere else and what its price is they'll match that price they got inexpensive shipping of like five or six dollars if it's less than 100 if it's over 100 shipping is free y'all you can't go wrong when you go and shop at miniaturemarket.com tease this at the very beginning this is where we're going to kind of save a space talk about uh, video games because it seems like tony on game nights as we're setting up the games we're talking a lot about video games now maybe tony that's because uh we run over to the GameStop if it's the beginning of the month and grab our ten dollar gift card for only five bucks 
uh, because we have the pro GameStop membership and we're trying to decide well, what game should we get? And then we end up talking about uh, games. So uh, a lot of video game discussion recently. And a lot of video game buying. I don't have time for all of this. I guess for video games, is I like it that if things have advanced, I'm having trouble finding it is that I can just stop a game right now. I don't have to worry about back in the old days, Mark, you remember where you'd have to get to certain places and you'd have to have certain codes written down or certain save points. Oh, dude, did you, did you have like a notebook somewhere oh, yeah. that had the code? <laughs> I know. Y'all, there was no internet. We couldn't be going and looking up what is the code for this level right here. No, you had to write that stuff down. And then it's like, Vanessa, where's that little piece of paper that was inside this lamp that had some numbers written on it? Or when I, the, one of the worst first person shooters that people, um, people argue with me on was Turok. I remember that one. And Turok. Oh, did you know that was re-released on the Switch? You can go back and replay that if you no, want. No, I don't know. Uh-uh, I do not need to play Turok on this. The reason why I didn't, I got it, I was so excited for it, was the fact that I could go to the various, I, I, the reason why I didn't play it is because it took forever to get to a save point. I was like, oh, this is awful. Absolutely awful. I wish GoldenEye would come out. Oh, that. Let's go All right. So you, you, it's funny you bring that up about save points and everything. So here's a question I have for you. And this mm-hmm. has been a, a topic of discussion on a lot of video channels that I've seen. Question is, should every video game offer different modes of difficulty, especially in easy mode? If I was to ask you that, what would your answer be? Just right off the top of your head. Okay, that's a weird way to put it. I am asking you that. <laughs> so if I were to ask you that. No, I am asking you that. You are. Yes. Yes, every game should have a mode, depending on the type of game, it should have one that allows you, especially as I think at the demographic, you and I playing, I don't have the Twitch motor skills that I used to. I don't have the ability to build, you know, you, you watch these people who can just do amazing things and do all these combos. Your kids, I mean, frame rate. Did you notice in that frame rate? No, I have no clue about a frame rate. I have no idea what you what your kids are talking about. Well, at this point in this frame rate, if I hit this button and do this, then that, no, I just want to enjoy the game. That's why I need easy mode and I have money to do it for me. You said they should. I'm going to answer it this way. I would want every game to have an easy mode. I don't think every game should have an easy mode. Okay. It's your opinion. What I mean by that is if a publisher comes out and says, you know what? We've made this game a certain way and uh, we want to keep it. If, if it's if it's difficult, uh, we've built it this way to maintain difficulty. We don't want to add easy mode because we want to make this a, a challenging game. I'm okay with that. It just means that me as a gamer, um, I would choose not to play it because I t- think it's too difficult for me. And the reason why this is coming up, I just finished playing Metroid Dread. That was a very tough game. I just finished the the final boss, and uh, this game has, I can't remember how many bosses, maybe like 10 bosses, and there's several zones that you really have to learn how to use all the controls and everything, how, how to do. The final boss only takes like eight minutes to complete. It's like a three-phase boss, but I probably spent an hour and a half to two hours before I was able to finally beat it. Because you got to play it and you practice and then you die and then you play again. And it's like, oh, I got through the first phase. Now I got to learn how to play the second phase. So you got to remember how to play the first phase and the second phase. Oh, I got to the third phase. I'm dying again. So you got to work through all that to finally get to the point where you beat it. When I beat it, the sense of accomplishment was absolutely amazing. I love the fact that I gave myself a pat on the back. Man, I know this was a difficult game and I pulled it off. 
If it had had an easy mode, I would have put it on the easy mode and I would have finished it and I would have not had that same feeling of accomplishment that I did because I did it on regular mode. All right. But if you had gotten to the point of frustration and not being able to finish it, you would never finish it. I would never finish it. You're right. Well, where's the, where's the feeling of completeness there? Well, one of the most popular types of difficult games are called the Souls games. This is from mm-hmm. a company called From Software, a Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3, Bloodborne, Demon Souls, etc. Just recently read an article from them and, and the uh, Elden Ring director. Elden Ring's a brand new game that's going to be Yeah, ready. Elden Ring, yeah. Well, it's yeah. going to be a difficult game. And the quote is from the director says, we don't make games hard for the sake of it. We want players to enjoy overcoming challenges. And from a publisher, I appreciate that. Does that mean that maybe I will not be able to play Elden Ring? Possibly. But I don't want to remove the satisfaction that Travis, who is an amazing Souls game player, will get by finishing Mm -hmm. that game. I agree. I agree. So that's where I think being able to adjust the difficulty level, like with me playing as Assassin's Creed, I've gotten to the point now where I need to adjust the difficulty level because I've gotten really good at it and I understand what I'm doing in it. Now, I question, would I have gotten as much enjoyment if it had been on a level so hard that no matter what boss fight I got in, I would have lost, you know, and not be able to get there? Would I have felt like I wasted my money? Probably. Mm -hmm. But I, I was able to bump down the difficulty and I was able to get through that boss level because I couldn't find out, you know, I wasn't, my timing was a little off or something like that, I, you know, but you're right. I, I agree with you that it needs to, they need to design games to their audience. And that sounds like a game, maybe not for me. Uh, right. And he goes on to say, it's like people asking, but what about new players that really want to get into Elden Ring? He said, this time in Elden Ring, we have many options at a player's disposal to confront challenging situations and use their cunning to outsmart enemies and bosses. They can come back to something later when they're in an impasse, 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 impasse. Wow. They can come back uh, to something later when they're in an impasse so that they can have this freedom of progression and not have to bang their head against the wall over and over. They can figure out what to do and how to approach it again at their own pace, which is a little bit of a change for them as opposed to running into a boss. You can't progress the game at all till you beat this boss. They're going to give you ways like, well, maybe you just want to come back to it later. But again, it goes back to the very beginning. As a gamer, I would want every game to have an easy mode as an option in case I want to play that game. But I don't think every publisher should include an easy mode if they don't want to. No, yeah, it's their decision. And this is a prime example of somebody says, we just want to make something that people will feel good about once they finish, which is the same feeling I had when I finished Metroid Dread. And I know after 15 to 20 minutes, I would have copped out and cranked it down to easy mode to get to that final boss. But I couldn't, I didn't, and I really feel good about it. And I don't think, again, people say, well, that's not fair for like you old guys who can't do that. Well, I just don't play that game and I play something else. And I guess that's where I would need to modify my answer. It's my money. I'll spend it how I want. And if I learn that that game doesn't give me that ability, I'm not going to spend my money. But if you have that capability, go spend your money. Have fun. Enjoy it. That's what these things are about. What difference does it matter if they include an easy mode or not? It's about the money. Money, money, money. I mean, come on. (laughs) Well, there may be some arguments saying, well, if they included an easy mode, they would make more money because they wouldn't be keeping people out of the game. 
Why do they need to keep them out? It's th- their job is to make money. That is their job. But uh, I'm saying a counterpoint could be, well, if you don't include an easy mode, then you won't make as much money. So why not include one? I agree with you there. Okay, I'm with you. Okay, yeah, yeah. From software saying we're not going to. You have one mode. Okay, then you lose out on my $60. That's no, that, thank you for saving me money. I've got mm-hmm. no problem with that. But there'll be plenty of people that's going to buy this game. Let's face facts. Sure. And I'm sure I will buy it when it gets on sale, but I'm not going to go right out and spend, you know, $30. It's good that I know this. I mean, I have stayed away from those games, knowing my limitations in video games. But I also know that people, for example, if they come up to me and say, wow, I just finished uh, Demon Souls 3. And I'm going like, dude, good job. It's one of those things that I immediately know, dang, you put a lot of time in it. Well done. As opposed to, Coming out with another game. I just finished such and such and you go, yeah, but did you do it on easy mode or regular mode or hard mode? You know, it's it's different. But when there's this genre of game to where Travis says, I can speed run Dark Souls 1 and finish it in 90 minutes, I'm going, dang. I don't know what what time he has, but he, he can kind of speed run that game. It's like, it's very impressive. And he didn't. he does the naked mode where he puts on no armor. And that's great. He has that challenge. He enjoys doing that. Maybe they should do that in some of the Maddens. Don't let them have pads. Maybe take them back to the 1920s football. <laughs> let them go through concussion protocols. No, they need to take Madden back to the uh, late 90s when there's only like three plays available mm-hmm. and not like 75. <laughs> That's why I get intimidated. You either run up the middle, sweep left, sweep right, or a pass. That's it. Exactly. I'm looking at it. Going, okay, I can do that. Hit A, B, or C. Okay, I got that. Boom. Here I go. Okay. And then if I jiggle the controller real fast, then he can get through the break. He not be tackled. <laughs> jiggle the controller. Oh, uh, I remember going. having to do so, that too. So one of my favorite YouTube is um, Stephen Yee. Um, he's on there, a, a comedian. And he's got, when Asian is a difficulty mode. I love watching those videos that he does. I haven't seen that one. He's got like three of them out because he's got mode two, a difficulty mode two or Asian. And basically uh, he's, he's filming it and he's got, and it's him and he's got Asian difficulty mode on and a leaf hits him and he dies. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> and, and, and he's talking to his, he, he plays his dad and he's what the, and, and he's like, yeah, the, the Asian community felt like you know, the game was too simple. So they've added this mm-hmm. new difficulty mode, the Asian difficulty mode. And it's like one where he's walking and he steps on a crack and he dies. And it's just, oh, some of the things he does, it's hilarious. So I, I appreciate you bringing this up because I, 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 I associate back to some of his videos in the difficulty mode. Like, you know, the weather comes over and you didn't block it. You know, you got to hit block at the right time. It's like, <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, uh, just out of curiosity uh, for people, well, what do y'all think? You know, come let us know on the Discord channel. Again, I, I stated it two different ways, right? I, as a gamer, would love every game to have an easy mode, but I do not expect every publisher to make one if they don't want to. Uh, hopefully that kind of makes sense, uh, what I'm saying. Uh, speaking of video games and our Discord channel, for the past week or so, we've had seven or eight people get Guild Wars 2. We've created a guild, and I can't remember what it was called, Tony. It's called Squirrel something. Squirrel Adventurers or something like that. It had something to do with uh, Squirrel. And 
we're all just kind of getting on every so often, leveling up, and we'll get into uh, the voice channel and uh, play. We are just having uh, the best time. I'm kind of getting prepared for the expansion that comes out at the end of February, and I've got a Mesmer that I've rolled up and uh, got it up to level 20 as of this recording. I'm going to try to get it to 30. All of us want to do a dungeon together. Uh, we want to do with the, the the first dungeon that's available to you once you get to level 30. And then I'm going to take that Mesmer and just go ahead and jump it all up to level 80 so I can play the new expansion. But Tony, you need to crank up Guild Wars 2 and jump in there with us because we're having a really good time all playing together. Which region did y'all start out of? Because you got to be able to... Nope. You, they've, they've changed it. You can go to any region. Uh, no matter what your starting race is, you always have access to the starting region of another race. Okay. So for, for example, I started out as human, but everybody else was playing Norn. Mm-hmm. So I could immediately jump to the Norn main city and then go out from there. Okay. Because I have a level 20 human elementalist that mm-hmm. is sitting there that I could easily move over there versus my 80 guardian that I haven't played in forever. And then I, after I updated and did the crank it up, I looked at my, my Mesmer and my engineer who are at level two, I think is where they were. Mm-hmm. Cause I just created them when we first started. So I knew every year they'd get a birthday gift. So I went into <laughs> yeah. them. I went into them. I was reading I, this one that I, I guess the game's over 10 years old. Cause he had like 10 birthday gifts or something. I had to go through. I was like, Oh, I don't have enough bags for all of this. Yeah. I will say if, if you're new to the, a lot of people have uh, come into this new and they're expecting the typical MMO where you have the Trinity you know, the DPS, the healing, the tank sort of deal. And that just really doesn't exist here. Right. So a lot of people have had to learn how to do that. But I will say, Tony, if you haven't played in a while, the nice thing is about rolling a new character is the tutorial kind of teaches you how the new skills work and everything mm-hmm. like that. So you can get into it pretty quick. And again, it's fun. All of us are sitting there chatting and you can ask questions and everything. And it's just fun to run around together and do events and everything like that. So uh, if you'd like to come join us, we'd love to ha- have you. It's, we can have as many people in the guild um, as we want. We have a special channel over there. And sometimes people just say, hey, I'm going to hop in the voice channel. Anybody want to log on? And we'll get and just kind of run around together. Yeah, I remember when this came out, you and I took a vacation day and we played yep. all day. And we were doing the um, PVP and that was the best time because nobody else was out there. So we were able to quickly go through things without worrying about getting killed. That was nice. Yeah, we hadn't even touched as a group any of that stuff. You wouldn't do that to level 80 anyway. The nice thing is they give you these level 80 boosts. Uh, I wouldn't recommend jumping straight to 80 if you've never played because there's way too much that will be thrown at you. But going from 1 to level 30, they slowly open up little things for you here and there. Here, here's a new skill. Try that. Here's a new skill. Try that. Here's a new weapon. Try that. And I'm having the best time with a mesmer with a with a uh, a broadsword. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. So there's there's the elementalist, the mesmer, the guardians, the um, engineers. I'm trying to think of all the the various races. Oh, not races. Necromancer, Necromancer. revenant. Uh, did you say ranger warrior? I forgot about the ranger. I've forgotten about what because guardian, and then there was warrior. the warrior. Yeah, yeah. I need to figure out which one I would roll up right now. I was going to say, nice thing is, is no matter what you roll up, you could play whatever style that you want. For example, there's a build of the Mesmer that's considered the best tank, and you wouldn't think a Mesmer would Mm. be a tank. But it just depends on what skills you use and what specialization you take at level 80. Right. One of the things I remember about Guild Wars 2 when it first came out, which I thought was cool, is like the Elementalist could throw up a firewall, and the Ranger would be behind it and shoot the arrows, and then they would ignite. 
Still exists. Still exists. Yeah, I always thought that sort of thing. It's a it's a finisher. Uh, there's a, there's a finisher move that you can have that you can like uh, activate in order to like create walls, like you said, or freeze people if they're in an area or something like that. So mm-hmm. that's what makes the team play so much fun too. And there's no loot stealing. There's no kill stealing. Mm-hmm. It's like if there's a tree over there, I can go chop it down, and you can chop down the exact same tree. It's not like in WoW where it disappears. You have to wait for it to respawn. Mm-hmm. Okay, a lot of fun. I went up, I got it updated. I got to see if it, she'll play on the computer because I think the computer's as old as the game, so it should be able to. <laughs> oh, you need a new PC, man. No, I don't. I'm good. I'm, I'm watching you here right now doing this podcast on it, so I know it works. Look at that video. That's awesome. That's true. As always, keep rolling dice. And taking names. Thanks for listening. Remember, we have a goal of 500 people on Discord channel. We're adding several people every week. Come hang out with us. As you've heard, we do everything together. We talk about food, talk about board games, play video games together. We are having such a great time. To get the links, you can head over to RollDiceTakeNames.com. Yeah, okay. We, we need another taste buds with a little bit better tasting Pop-Tart. I, I was barely able to get down one, and I gave the other to Vanessa. How about you? Yeah, I know what you mean, but I did eat the second one. <laughs>